supplier onboarding is super critical third party risk management is super critical to them occ is on their head left right and center they cannot afford to do anything because occ unlike fda in life sciences occ is much tougher than fda is yeah when it comes to financial services right if you're a bank you know the pain of third party risk management so what have they done they've invented a four month process to onboard a new supplier growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing this approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Which spend categories should procurement control would always be debatable. Most companies may have a budget threshold where they might dictate the involvement of procurement, but this approach might not be suitable for every category. Some categories may be so strategic even if the budget threshold may not be as high that business might want to take over because of the cross-functional implications or risks. These categories might also have very unique workflow and processes that require unique design compared to the other categories. In today's episode, our guest Sudhir Pujwani and Yuan Chung discusses the best practices of managing unmanaged spend. They also discuss the disconnect between procurement and business and the scope of procurement. Finally, they describe where Oro Labs fit in the enterprise architecture and how it compares with other workflow automation tools, P2P, CLM, etc. Let me introduce Sudhir and Yuan to you. Sudhir is the co-founder and CEO of Oro Labs. He spent nine years at SAP Ariba, where he worked as the chief procurement officer, leading engineering, product management, and operations. During his time as CPO, Ariba launched innovations such as guided buying, supplier lifecycle and performance, and supply chain collaboration. Yuan is co-founder and CTO of Oro Labs. Yuan spent more than 15 years at SAP Ariba where he was the chief architect of Ariba Network, which has over 4 million companies perform millions of transactions annually. Yuan led the CXML committee at Ariba, which has become an industry standard for buyer-supplier collaboration on Ariba and Coupa technology offerings. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having us. Of course. And uh, it's my pleasure. Always from uh, the procurement community, I get very interesting insights. We have had a lot of different uh, perspectives. So obviously, there is a lot happening overall in the procurement tech space. So it's always interesting. Just to kick things off, if my listeners might not know you guys, do you guys want to start with your intros? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, I'm CEO and co-founder of a startup called Oro Labs. We are a procurement software company, but before starting Oro, I spent 
close to nine years at Ariba, then became part of SAP. I was the chief product officer for SAP Ariba, where I ran engineering, product management, and I called myself, I love procurement still. So we'll talk about how I love procurement, and then why did I start this company after nine years at SAP Ariba? Okay, amazing. Thank you so much uh, for the introduction. And Juan, can I move to you next for your intro, if you don't mind? Yeah. So uh, my name is Yuan Tong. I'm the CTO and co-founder of Oral Labs. And uh, before this, of course, I spent 18 years in Ariba. I was the uh, chief architect of Ariba Network. And so we, re- I mean, we started from a little Ariba Network with a couple thousand organization all the way to 4 million buyer suppliers. And in the meantime, I ran the, uh, I actually, the, I have the uh, CXML specification committee where that I go through all the specs, approve all the standards that's used today in the e-commerce. Yeah. Okay, amazing uh, introduction there. So yeah, so before we dig into the real topic, and we have so many different layers that we want to head on, uh, starting from spine pipeline, I guess. Uh, before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth. So we started the company two and a half years back, roughly. We are funded by some pretty good venture capitalists. Uh, we raised a Series A, $25 million Series A. So now the question then becomes is, uh, I think there's a lot of attention given to procurement tech in general. And procurement tech is always a little bit of uh, lagging behind CRM tech and marketing tech in general. Procurement tech because considered to be a quote-unquote backend function, which I disagree with, which I'll talk about. Uh, how it can really have a bigger impact than just being a backend function. Uh, so I think I see a lot of business opportunity. And I see with the way the world is moving, offshoring is kind of, uh, we know what's going on in that world. Uh, that is going to have a direct impact. The growth people are going to see in the U.S. is going to be great. And by virtue of which, the growth in the so- software spend is going to see see great, which is good for our business, I think. So while the economy is going through these rough edges, if you will, I I still see a lot of potential. The number of deals we are seeing is incredible. And we'll talk about why in a second. But overall, I see business doing by the, I think we are doing quite well. And overall, I think business is still quite healthy. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Sudhir, for uh, that. Now, Yuan, obviously, this is going to be a personal perspective. Uh, I know he sort of has the lead in this question, but I mean, I'm looking for your personal perspective on growth. Uh, so, uh, personally, I think if we look at procurement, right, I think the whole industry has been pretty much focusing on what we call source to pay, right? Okay. If you look at Ariba's history, we started with sourcing, which we call upstream. Then we go with downstream, which we call P2P now, right? So together it's called source to pay. Everybody has been just doing this all these years for basically two decades. And we, what we find is that users still struggling buying stuff. I mean, from source to pay, people think source to pay is complete as a procurement solution, but users still don't know how to buy, how to buy stuff in a corporate. If you ask any user, try to hire a trainer, try to hire even a rebel when we try to hire a pen test. People have to read an instruction uh, video for one hour to figure out how to cut a purchase order for a pen test. Yeah. There's a struggle people have on the source page solution. That's why I believe there's a huge growth area for us to actually get out of source pay uh, model to build something which is solve this, this problem for end users, how to buy in a corporate world. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting perspective. Thank you so much for that. Um, so now, uh, you know, obviously when you look at the, the whole ecosystem of procurement tech, it was always very confusing. If I speak to my listeners, 
they struggle to understand the difference between an ERP system and P2P system. If we just cover the procurement, you know, again, if we are talking about e-commerce, then obviously it's going to be far more convoluted. Just in the procurement space, there are so many tools and technologies and it becomes very confusing. Okay, who does what? And obviously there is always going to be the overlap as well. Again, when we take the industry layers, uh, sometimes it could differ uh, according to that as well. So let's say if you were to sort of provide a walkthrough of different technologies available, I know Yuan actually touched on the source to pay and even source to pay can be segmented into procure to pay and your source to pay, which is going to have your strategic sourcing, etc. Then you have, you know, tailor spend management. So there is just so much going on there, right? So overall, from the technology perspective, maybe provide some overview of different systems and how they sort of fit in the architecture, uh, which is going to be upstream, downstream. So do you want to start first? Sure. So so we talked about source to pay. Yeah. As if it's uh, source to pay is one homogeneous homogeneous system and a homogeneous process, top to bottom. The truth is, if you take a step back, yeah. if you're a manufacturing company, you have a direct spend and indirect spend. So even the quote-unquote source-to-pay package, when it talks about direct spend, which yeah. would be the goods and goods you buy that goes into, into your bill of material or what you use to manufacture compared to indirect. Now, indirect will say, okay, indirect must be all the same. But the truth is, the way you buy laptops is not exactly the same yeah. way Say, for example, you hire field services or the way you hire marketing services or IT consulting services or the way you purchase the software. It's not all the same. Yep. So where I, what I'm saying is the spend actually matters, broadly speaking. Now, given that perspective, let's talk about source to pay, right? Particularly sourcing as a module, the way you source direct material, marketing, other stuff is very different. Yeah. Then you have contracting. The way you do contracting is also different. Now, people talk about P2P. The reality is, the last part of P is the payment before which comes invoicing. Yeah. There's an invoicing solution there too. Now, when it comes to invoicing, you have an AP team that controls the invoicing piece because AP is responsible for paying the invoices. So what is the role of procurement? So where I'm going with this is while there is a source to pay suite, there, you, you're absolutely right. You can split them into many, many different smaller chunks. And then you realize this is a pretty complex uh, ecosystem uh, which, uh, which needs a little bit further dissection to be able to understand. I'd like you want to chime in as well a little bit. Yeah. So I'm looking at it, right? So which means that I think people keep, uh, as it, basically when we slice the procurement solution, even it slices the functionality, right? Which put sort of pay, right? You have a sourcing, which does IFQ, IFPs. Then eventually try to create a contract module, which is about today, the contract module is part of what we call upstreams. Yeah. Try to create a contract that flow into downstream. And that used as a guide for pricing and for the application right, tracking, right? Then they go to uh, procure and then to payment, which goes to invoicing receipts. Then you go to payment. So it sounds actually quite quite possible that everything should be uncovered already. Unfortunately, today, right? I mean, look at it, you. I would rather say it's more of a commodity spend versus ad hoc service spend, right? Ad hoc services, most of services are, are not really repeatable, right? Means I, I hire somebody to do an event, so I hire, the next event will be somebody else, right? It's another engagement, right? So I would rather look at it's more ad hoc versus commodity spend, right? Commodity spend today, I think most of the procure to pay system work pretty well, right? You create a catalog, punch outs, you buy the stuff, you put it in the shopping cart, and there you go, right? They're actually pretty well, well established. The problem right now is more of a service spend, which is ad hoc. And some people call it the tail end spend, but if you just tell the truth, right? 
That tail end spend probably consists of 80% of the spend of any company today. We keep calling it AHA. So which means AHA, some people, some people more of a dissecting as more of a low dollar amount spend. AHA low dollar amount spend, but a high dollar amount spend today, usually if you look at procurement system, right? You do a little bit of sourcing, which in fact is actually you're using a contract module. You're not really using the uh, source mo sourcing module, using a contract module. Try to create obligations, which means that all the due diligence somehow is in that black box, right? So you, you ask, first of all, as a user, you have to know that I'm good to come, I've asked somebody to create a contract project in a contract module to actually negotiate everything, do all the due diligence over there. Eventually there's a contract number comes out. And I use that contract number means everything's good. This this world looks like today you sort of pay. And that black box usually sometimes take one month, sometimes take four months. Yeah. Nobody knows what else going on. <laughs> As the end user, you're just waiting for that contract number finally show up in your email. Then you can proceed to procure the pay to cut a purchase order. And that cutting of that purchase uh, purchase order actually takes five minutes. No. No matter how hard, how bad a procurement system is, it cannot take more than five minutes once you have that contract number. And so, which means that most of people try to improve that is actually, I think, the false goal. The, the first black box is the one we try to solve. And that's why we're looking at it right now. And, and I tell you, Sam, yeah. let me elaborate one more reason why we started or what was the genesis of it, yeah. how we came to the, came about to the conclusion. If you look at the whole source-to-pay landscape today is built on this Krolgic matrix. You've seen that Krolgic matrix, which tells you what's, how should procurement define their processes to optimize the savings. Yeah. Okay? And that Krolgic matrix tells you, you should try to give all the spend to a very small set of preferred suppliers, as small a set of suppliers as you can, so that you can drive the price yeah. and also compliance. Right? So it, it drives efficiency as well as savings, both. Yeah. But here's my realization. I ran Ariba. I had a team of 2,000 people under me, reporting to me. I had a reasonable budget, let's say. We bought 600 laptops in my team every yeah. single year. That spend will be a few million at least, right? In the ballpark, whatever it is. Do you think I cared? Pretty big spend. Anybody would say buying 600 laptops a year would be a pretty important spend for anybody. But do you think as a business leader, I could care less about it? I could care less? The reality, I didn't care as much about yeah. that, buying laptops. But then what Yuan was alluding to, I had to hire an external trainer to come and teach my team the next generation software technology we wanted to use. So I needed, I had to upscale my team. I had to hire an external uh, trainer. And I had heard about this trainer from one of my close friends at a different company. He said, hey, this trainer is amazing at this stuff. And I wanted to absolutely hire this person, no matter what. The spend was less than 100,000, I can tell you that. I cared a whole lot more for that than whatever millions we spend on the laptops. I can tell you that much. So that's the disconnect between procurement and business, which is what has the crux of the problem, which is like, Procurement is derived to, if you think fundamentally, procurement is born to drive commodity-based spend to drive savings. If you, if I'm a marketeer, my goal is to return the value. ROI is a fundamental thing a marketeer does, as an example. So if I'm going to work with an agency to do a campaign, I'm going to focus on ROI a lot myself. Now, it doesn't mean procurement cannot help me, and that's not what I'm suggesting here by any stretch of imagination, as a matter of fact. In fact, I think procurement can help. But the systems were not geared to solve this kind of problem. That's what we're trying to highlight. Okay, so very interesting perspective there. So I am going to unpack a little bit in both of your conversations. So first, I mean, we want to position wherever you guys are playing um, in the right light. So 
obviously we started discussing first the difference between your source to pay and procure to pay. And then I think you provided a little description there overall with respect to the direct and indirect spend. Indirect as well, you have sort of the contract and then, uh, you know, you have the tail spend as well that you were talking about. So in the example that you gave, it's really for the tail spend. That's my understanding. The laptop example uh, that you followed up. So are you guys playing more in the tail spend space? Yeah. So do you want to clarify that a little bit? So firstly, tail spend is a very wrong word. Okay. Sudhir at at SAP would have never mentioned the word tail spend to hire a trainer. Okay. That has a direct impact on my business. A marketing person is never going to name working with a new marketing agency for a PR campaign as a tail spend. People think tail spend is buying adapters and chargers. Who cares? Typically, when people give tail spend example, long tail, people are buying lots of adapters. Yeah. It's not true, actually. It's not true, actually. Uh, Let's say if an engineer at a Ford Motor Company I was talking to, he say, I'm working on next generation F-150. Let's say he, uh, he or she wants to, the engineer wants to buy a part that is, uh, he or she is going to experiment with. The part is going to call 80,000. Would you call it a uh, tail spend? Yeah, you will. From a chronologic metrics perspective, it's a tail spend. But is the right word for it, actually? Is that the right word for it? Giving that kind of almost bad name to it, I would say. I actually think it's really, really critical to, that's the whole genesis of our idea. We don't believe that word even makes sense, actually. That adapters and charges, forget it. That's Amazon business anyways. That, that's going to go to Amazon or some other company. They're going to consolidate that stuff. Like MRO stuff is getting consolidated with Granger. Some uh, some will get lab supplies will consol- get consolidated with VWR or whoever else, Thermo Fisher, whatever. And likewise, Amazon is going to consolidate some of that stuff. But the interesting and important business managed spend, I, I, I think if you, when I look at a, let's take an example of a company. Let's say I'm a software company. We have a customer like Optimizely. Yeah. If you look at the spend, how, how does the spend look like? If you if, Let's look at it. They will have big spend with large cloud providers like GCP, Amazon, whatever, yeah. whoever they're doing business with. That will be probably the biggest chunk of the spend, the, like three of them. But those that spend is managed in a very special way. So forget that. That's a very, very special category. right? Then broadly speaking, I would say, I would categorize their spend into four buckets. Software spend, yeah. Their marketing spend, which is primarily services. I'll say they hire a lot of contingent worker. Yeah. Right. And everything else where the facilities and everything else will fit in. Those are the four spend buckets. Now let's go through each one of them and see which one of them fits the tail spend name. I buy a software. I don't buy the soft, same software 125 times last I checked. I buy the software only once and usually it lasts me. I sign it, sign it to your agreement. So that doesn't fit your classic metrics. So that would be tail spend. Let's say marketing campaign. I'm going to participate in an event in Brazil because to generate some demand gen because we're going to launch something in Brazil. I don't launch every new new thing in Brazil every year. Quote unquote tail spend again, not a tail spend. Second example, contingent workers. I hire all kinds of people. It's a big spend for me. Hiring contingent worker. That's a third third spend. And facilities, yeah, facilities. Part of it is repeat repeat spend. You can say, yeah, maybe we can apply source to pay source to pay solution to it and solve the problem so 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 that's how i think of the problem uh, sam more than uh, the way classically people have thought of it so we don't think it, it necessarily makes sense so for small company that spend we are dis- uh, describing represents a fairly significant chunk 60% i believe what classically would have called unmanaged spend unmanaged spend is probably a better way of thinking about it with that cannot be managed and procurement has very low influence on it in a large company with the best procurement solution I tell you that spend could still be 35-40%. But 40% mm-hmm. procurement, while there's a purchase order for it, people say, oh, I created a purchase order. That means it must be managed spend. Really, mm-hmm. creating a purchase order, as you said, get two minutes. 
how does how does it qualify as a managed spend managed spend is when you had an influence it went through the right process and you are 100% sure it is the right thing to do for the company that's what i would qualify as a managed spend and not just that hey i have a purchase order yeah great points uh, you want do you have anything to add there yeah so i think you look at from an user's point of view right usually end up doing was that if you are under $10,000 click here if you are if you require legal assistance on privacy maybe you are giving out our privacy there click here and so you from an end user point of view they have to know the process and click on the right tool to get it right this is what problem people have today, right? So could be, how do I know I need to create a contract? And what, how do I know I need to sign DPA? How do I know I need to sign MSA? How do I know I need to sign NDA? Nobody knows. And so basically go read a document on SharePoint. Hopefully you know by then after reading that book of instructions from the corporate website and you figure it out and click on the right click and choose the right tool to proceed. Otherwise you're stuck again, right? From end user point. Yeah. Yeah, I could not agree more. So, guys, great point. And I completely agree with you that, you know, uh, I don't think this should be called tailspin. And that was not my understanding of tailspin, to be honest. Okay. So, oh. you are talking about the unmanaged spend that does not go through procurement. I'm trying to rephrase my understanding as well to make sure we are on the same page that, okay, you are talking about the spend that does not go through procurement. And that is going to be, for example, let's say if anybody's buying ERP. Okay, now procurement, sometimes they <laughs> get involved. Anybody buy Orolabs too, Orolabs right. too, Orolabs too. <laughs> right, right. So those spend categories, they definitely don't go through procurement. Sometimes they are going to be involved. Sometimes their involvement is going to be very limited. In fact, I'll tell you what, okay. Business does not want procurement to be involved in most of their purchases. So you mentioned 60% of the spend. I think that might vary per industries, depending upon which industry you are talking about. Since you were referring to the software, in the case of software, you are going to have far more unmanaged spend the way software business is managed in general. You are not, you don't have repeatable spend a lot, right? You don't have predictable spend. So most of them is probably going to be unmanaged. And that's probably the reason why you probably are playing in that space is because you are far more natural fit in general in that space, right? Now, when you look at the business, I mean, if I, as a business, if I want to do something, I'm a sales guy. I'm a marketing guy. Okay, I'm trying to meet my number in this quarter. If I involve my procurement, you know, it's going to be really, really hard to buy something. We all know this, how this works, right? And if it is going to be, even if it is going to be big purchase or a small purchase, it doesn't matter because procurement go through these strict procedures and policies. And sometimes the negotiation does not go through. And then because of that, I'm not able to meet my goals. So I don't know whether you are seeing this challenge and, you know, what uh, pushback you are getting either from executive is, the company buying the whole idea of the centralized spend management across the category. <laughs> I don't know whether you guys agree with me, don't agree with me. So this is another, we've been enlightened, let's say, talking to our customers now. Uh, actually, you have to listen sometimes, right? What happened yeah. is at Ariba, we spent so many years. And my conclusion is we're building a solution for procurement department as opposed to procurement problem. Yeah. So we were building a solution for, that's what Ariba, Kupa, and a lot of those guys, a lot of industry has done, build solution for procurement department, whereas we need to solution for procurement, not procurement department. So that's the big difference. But to answer your question, having said that, let's take an example. I was talking to CIO of a very large bank. Now, they say onboarding, supplier onboarding is super critical. Third-party risk management is super critical to them. Yeah. OCC is on their head, left, right, and center. They cannot afford to do anything. But OCC, unlike FDA in life sciences, OCC is much tougher than FDA is. 
yeah. when it comes to financial services, right? If you're a bank, you know the pain of third-party risk management. So what have they done? They've invented a four-month process to onboard a new supplier. It's easy. Three to four months is not that uncommon in a, in a bank to onboard a new supplier. Then you go through the steps in the process. I was, I, was, I was looking at the whole workflow for one of the largest banks, the number of steps that exist in the process. And I was thinking, huh, who owns this step in the process? Huh, this is owned by legal. Does procurement have any influence on legal? Hmm, last I checked, no. Who owns this process? Oh, yeah. this is owned by security. Oh, procurement definitely has no influence on security. Awesome. That that step is owned for, oh, uh, uh, compliance. They, as it turns out, don't have. There's a risk and compliance officer, which is at a higher level, reports directly to the CEO in many cases in a, at a financial services company yeah. to do uh, antitrust and everything, all that stuff. That's there. When you go through these steps, you realize procurement is one step in the process. So what I'm trying to tell, what I'm trying to say is, in the overall procurement process, the core negotiation skill that a procurement typically has is just one step in the process. But they gave blame for the whole process. So our, so we sympathize a lot with procurement actually. So I love procurement. I love procurement. I'll probably and happily say that. But I think because the problem is more complex than people give it credit. That's the reason Oro Labs, our main mission is smart procurement workflows. And because we feel what procurement workflows are far more complex and they are owned by multiple stakeholders in any given company. And to truly get an amazing experience, which we call uh, fed under management, which is the grand vision we all have with risk as the core, compliance as the core, and saving as the core. So all these pillars have to be met and there are multiple stakeholders who participate. So that's how I would say, uh, Sam. So while I agree with you in, in in essence, that yeah, nobody wants to involve procurement because it slows things down. I do agree. In the the result of it is that, but the reality is actually more complex than that. Is what I'm trying to say. Great points, John. You have anything to add? Yeah. So I think I think I think just add to what Shri was saying, right? So far from an email marketing person, right? You you have to realize your campaign started collect personal data. Everybody knows that. Now you are subject to GDPR, all these rules, right? All these privacy rules, and that's why. Procurement as a as an organization try to achieve was and let all the rest of the company knows right. So there are certain things need to be due diligence needs to be done. Except that that thing is all opaque as a policy in a SharePoint where nobody knows what the hell is going on, right? And nobody knows where it's stuck. People, as Sudhir said, people blame procurement putting up these weird policies. And the truth is that because it's needed, once, uh, I mean, you can see all these companies getting buying left and right. We're talking about $100 million, billion dollars sometimes for violating these rules. And so the stake for business is actually quite high for, for not doing the due diligence and not having a proper legal uh, coverage. So which means that I think today I would say blaming our software vendor who has not been solving this problem. Knowing the root of the problem is that all the legal compliances, especially in right now, procurement acting as a gate with no control on what outcome. And now the idea was for us as a software vendor to solve this problem, right? Create visibility, create accountability, and create visibility, actually primary visibility to the stakeholders. Let them know that things are moving along and where and the, who's responsible for the next step and to orchestrate that whole process. Yeah, so very interesting perspective, guys. So again, I'm going to unpack a little bit based on your commentaries. And one of the things, I mean, four-month procurement process, seriously. Okay, obviously, that's very long, right? That's fast. One of the- that's fast, Sam. <laughs> that's fast, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's fast. Okay, so one of the drawbacks of that four-month procurement process is going to be 
the smart vendors, to be honest, they don't want to engage with those businesses because four months is just too long time for any. I mean, for us, let's say if I am looking at a deal and if somebody is going to tell me that it is going to take four months, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to touch that deal, to be honest. Okay, unless, you know, we are dealing with like millions and millions of dollars and it's a different case, then we can probably forecast and, and decide. But most of the vendors that I know, especially the good ones, I mean, they are very careful in the kind of, you know, businesses that they engage with. So that's why, I mean, see, I think the goal should be to reduce the the total time. And I guess that's what you guys are trying to do overall from the procurement uh, workflow perspective. Now, how I'm going to describe two different things. Number one is going to be how businesses manage this, especially when you look at the department level, right? So I completely agree with you guys that there has to be central compliance, the legal review. You cannot sign the contract if that's going to be a trouble for the company. So that has to go through it, right? But typically, how companies manage this is they are going to have budget at the department level and department has sort of freedom to buy whatever they want. Now, procurement obviously does not like that. Okay, there's no question about that. They want to control every single dollar. And that's how most of the organizations work. But I mean, see, they are going to be involved during the PO process. They are going to be involved during the legal process. They are going to be involved during the contract process. It's just that the, the vendor that they might want to work with they might hire that vendor, they might not involve them during the selection, etc. But once the deal is finalized, then they, most likely somebody is going to review the contract. That's how I have seen. Now, the other scenario, you mentioned the workflows, right? I know a company called ServiceNow. I don't know whether you come across them, whether you consider them as your competitors, but they are trying to do similar things, to be honest, okay? One of the use cases that they have is uh, vendor onboarding, and they are trying to do anything and everything around P2P, anything and everything around ERP. So they are playing in that space as well. And they are trying to build similar workflows. And in my mind, I think you guys are trying to do the similar things as well. So let's say if you were to compare and contrast between these two, how would you do that? So first, to a degree, yes, to a degree, no, I would say first and foremost. And I'll say why I say that. Like we will never try to be an ITSM tool. Yes, we have no zero interest in that. Zero, zero. But of course, they, they have interest in going out of ITSM, which they are, as you, as you rightly said. We are a workflow tool designed for procurement and supply chain, first and foremost. What does it really mean? That means you can implement any, when you look at the supplier onboarding process, it's really complex. It's a complex RACI matrix, responsibility accountability matrix. It's pretty complex. Yeah. We are designed to implement that matrix with the least amount of effort. You can implement, we have a very large life sciences custom companies as a, as a customer, one of the largest life sciences, the top 10 life sciences companies globally. They would implement a complex workflow in our tool in less than three months. Uh, now, this is like full automated workflow in tools. months. And why is that possible? Because we were built for that. We are not built for sign, sign, uh, solving an ITSM problem. What does it really mean? Like, what are the core objects in procurement if you think about it? Vendor object is one of the core objects, supplier object. One of the most complex objects in procurement. And you can have, how many times have you heard the complex problems such as, hey, I have duplicate vendors in my ERP. Everybody yeah. has a problem. Yeah. Our systems understand that, understand that natively. You don't need to teach us that. And we also understand why duplicate records exist in ERP. Okay, no problem. How many times have we heard the problem that, oh, I have a sourcing system, but my sourcing system and my vendor record in ERP, they don't connect. I don't know which record maps to what. No problem. We know how to connect those things. So supplier object is one of the key objects in the system. Second problem, second object. How, how, how many times you heard the problem such as, hey, I don't know which vendor I use for what. I'll tell you how to find which, what you're doing with the vendor. Ask the sales guy. He'll tell you what your company is buying from them. There's no visibility on what does. Why is that? 
The reason is actually the contract visibility is also big problem. We're not saying we are a CLM tool. We don't want to be a CLM tool, but we natively want to understand the contract terms. And why is it important? That allows the process to be smarter. That's the reason. That's the intent. We are not trying to replace Ironclad or Ariba or any of those tools. You need CLM tool. You have to buy those tools. We are not a replacement for that. So, so we understand that concept. Third concept, assessment. We talked about data privacy. You mentioned one of our customers actually is pretty interesting. They track which information is shared with what supplier. So they track to the nth degree because they are in regulated industry. Yeah. We share email ID of uh, advisor. We share phone number of our employee with this vendor. They track at that level. Can you answer the question in a very simple way? Tell me the suppliers we are sharing employees' phone number with, with a, with a click. That's not possible today. So I'm giving some examples to highlight the core uh, core pain. So you, 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 so these things, these concepts you understand natively by virtue of it, implementing a workflow in a manageable way, in a TCO which is far less, is realistic. So I think we are really built for that. That's the co- core answer to that, Sam. We are built for this. We understand these objects. Our workflows can implement that in a much, much easier way. By virtue of which your TCO will be a whole lot lower. Okay, very And experience will be great too, by the way. I forgot to mention, the most important is the user experience point, which eventually, I believe adoption and user experience go together. If users don't adopt, you will be because their experience is not good. And the experience is not good is because they don't understand the system. And fundamentally, Yuan gives this example. He gave me the example once upon a time, once I met him first time. He says, Sudhir, if you go to craigslist.com, do you think craigslist.com has the best user user experience? I say, yes, it does. But does it have the most beautiful looking UI? Debatable. But experience, if I want to rent, put my house on a rent, it goes off pretty pretty fast. Yeah. That's what we want to do. That's our goal. We want to make users do things faster. At the same time, we want to bring more spender management. We can kill two birds with one stone and we are designed for that, but not an ITSM. You want, do you have anything to add? Yeah, so I think probably the difference between uh, we call native uh, native workflows, right, which is basically a no code engine with workflows, right. What we find is that um, we have to build it from scratch. for our uh, no code engine was to solve the problem was that we have give uh, we're dealing with multiple persona within one workflow, yeah. right. Legal reviews, I only care about the legal part of the uh, of the request. Privacy, I only care about privacy part of the request. I, because there's so much information is put into the request, user and user from each persona are usually so confused what they should be looking at, looking for the relevant informations that they can use to make a decision. So for us to be able to come out with a system which we only present the relevant information to the, to the stakeholder and for them to capture their own relevant information to use for later. For example, right, in the privacy assessment, right, I have to capture that. We're going to give this uh, vendor our email address of our board members. That is captured. But the problem is that the request doesn't know about it. So the requester couldn't answer it in the intake process. So usually after you negotiate with the supplier, that's you realize what that is. And to be able to capture the information and show that to the next lawyer who is doing the review for the same vendor. That's where the difficult part is, whether the naked workflow couldn't solve. Yeah, could not agree more, guys. I mean, there are some really great points overall from the data privacy perspective. Also, reporting GDPR, when you look into those scenarios, obviously, it gets very involved. Uh, and there's a lot of admin effort that you need to put in to be able to, number one, track, number two, report, okay? Uh, I am going to follow up with uh, one comment, and we are going to unpack a little bit based on your comments, okay? Um, so you mentioned that, you know what, when you look at these vendors and vendor instances, it's just easier for us to be able to sort of have that single source of truth is what you are talking about, uh, you know, vendor. You know, in my mind, single source of truth is always, it's a rocket science. 
Okay, even for uh, companies such as Zoom Info, it's very hard to figure out, okay, who is the vendor. So maybe, maybe you can describe your process in terms of how you are able to manage the single source of truth from the vendor perspective. In my mind, if I look in, you know, and uh, one, you might be able to relate with this, right? So as the CIO, as the architect, you know, for you, the more data stores you are going to have, the more challenging <laughs> it is going to be to have that single source of truth. So now you guys are proposing that, you know, I have this wonderful system that you have to have in your architecture, or obviously you are going to be spending a lot of uh, time. I get it. Okay. But at the same time, that additional system always is going to uh, increase the complexity in managing the vendor record across the system. Unless you guys are not maintaining any vendor records in your system, my understanding is that you are. So now this is a separate data store that I need to introduce to my architecture. So now you tell me what is the sort of source of information here? Who is going to be the source of authority? How is the one vendor record is maintained across the system? And how is that is sort of broadcasted to all of these systems? I don't know who want to start. Any, any one of you. You want to start, Yvonne? Yeah, sure. Um, so that's why I think with the leave, right? Only chance of have, having a central repository effective on your, let's for example, vendor object, right? Is actually should be happening in the orchestration layer. Orchestration layer is the one where that it connects with all the processes, all the tools. When you are, that's why we build our system for a while. When we do orchestration with another system, we, we can actually natively bring in the data from the other system. Any kind of data to inject it into our process to be able to capture that, make it reportable and make it visible and only relevant to the stakeholder, right stakeholders. This is how system does. That's why, we, that's why we believe that any business should introduce an orchestration layer, which solves the user, usability problem. But usability problem is more than just UI. It's actually to present the information in a holistic manner, whether people can make the right decision. Instead of, I think I talked to one of our customers, I think a long time ago, some from big pharmaceutical company. They call it, it's called super chair problem. I do some work over it. I swivel my chair to another app to look something up and bring that information back to the app so I can do another work. Then I swivel to another chair to another app and do look something up and come back again. And we build our orchestration layer to be able to allow other systems to inject very easily, actually. Very easily, that in, in integration layer, that data into bringing to our world to make it visible, presented to the end user, reportable as well yeah okay so do you have anything to add yeah one thing i like to add is look i think what we are not saying to be clear we are not suggesting that you don't need vendor records in erp financial systems need vendor record let's be clear about it and they should be from a finance perspective they should be considered the source of truth we are not trying to say we become the source of truth suddenly for your finance records but can we disintermediate intermediate yes we can that's what we are suggesting likewise we are not suggesting you don't need a vendor record in your CLM tool. We're not suggesting that at all. Nor are we suggesting you don't need a vendor record in your PLM tool or your CLM tool. We need a vendor record in all of these tools. But what we are suggesting is as a part of orchestration, we can deliver an experience. Our vendor object is an aggregation of this. And you mentioned Zoom Info. Yes, we do a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, uh, that, that's an enrichment part, which is like, hey, if I have two uh, vendor records in my ERP, or neither of them have a logo even of the company, let alone, and the names are also funny looking sometimes. You can't yeah. even identify the company names. But now I at least I give a normalized view of the world. So normalized view of the world doesn't mean you're trying to compete with Zoom Info by any stretch of imagination. You're not trying to be Zoom Info. 
Our goal is to provide that normalized view across all different um, uh, vendor objects that may exist in various systems so the user can make it. So Sam, one thing I forgot to mention in our conversation, when you look at our tagline, smart procurement workflows, I was trying to describe it to somebody. How do you describe the essence of what we do? The essence of the way I thought, the way I thought of it is poor workflow is equal to poor data, is equal to poor decisions. So if you have a pure work, poor workflow or no orchestration, which is the current state, your data is going to be poor. People are running around with Excel sheets, left, right, and center. Yeah. Even the best companies with quote unquote best procurement implemented, they're running around with data sheets all over the place. And how can you make the right decisions when you don't have the data? So that's why you need a pl platform like us in our mind. Okay, amazing guys. Did you guys want to touch anything else that you wanted to cover as part of this episode that we could not cover? So did, I, I'll start with you. Yeah, a couple of things I want to do. I want to eventually deliver the value. What is the value of orchestration? And I alluded to it. We will deliver better workflow, which will improve your user experience, which will make the thing go faster. What is the benefit of it? You will get better data. What can I do with it? I can do better decisions. What kind of decisions I can do better? In real time, I can do spend management using our platform. Real spend management. I can, I can, I can, I can really do risk management in real time. Right. So those are the two. And the third thing is I really can define what the business outcome should be from my perspective. So really, it really gives you the knob that you need from a finance perspective as a business leader to be able to control your spend in a much, much better way. And at the same time, don't completely be, don't have an NPS score of your employees being minus 125 when it comes to procurement and finance. Okay, amazing. Uh, one, do you have anything to add? Uh, did you want, want to cover anything else? No, no, I'm good. Yeah, I okay. should cover everything. So, Amazing. Okay. So the last thing that we typically cover as part of these episodes is going to be the closing advice. Do you guys have any sort of closing advice for our listeners? Sudeesh, I will start with you. I really think automation, digitization is super critical. And I believe in the day and age of, we live in the day, day and age of data. Let's focus on generating the right data. So then AI can be leveraged in a potentially smart way. Uh, I think without data, AI is, in my mind, not as interesting or useful. So I think data is the crux of the problem, I fundamentally believe, and not automating workflows. If people continue to use emails and offline stuff, you're never going to have data. So I, I would say focusing on automating as a digitization strategy to get right data, to make right decisions. That's Whether you use our tool or not is irrelevant, but that should be the right strategy in my mind. Okay, amazing. One, do you have any closing advice, please? Yeah, so I think what happened was that we're looking at this problem was that I, I always, always laugh was that, I mean, we as a system keep moving structured data into unstructured data and back to structured data. If you look around, <laughs> you have structured data in an invoicing system, you print out a PDF file <laughs> that becomes unstructured and try to extract that invoice back into a PDF, from PDF into an invoice, right? That's what world is. Right? If you look at all these orchestration data workflow people are doing today, was that email going left and right because there's no system to capture them? to help users to capture them. So the data quality is actually quite poor. And so, which means that you end up making a wrong decision or capture wrong data, right? If you look at today, right? People try to do a, a, a scanning of a contract, PDF contract back to a contract data, right? This is just, <laughs> it just, it's just my boggling sometimes if I think of, I think it's a tool's fault, but if you look at it, that's a problem we have today. Yeah, could not agree more guys. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be, there's so much happening in the procurement tax space. So make sure you guys review and understand how that might be a fit for your architecture. On that note, I want to thank you both for your time. This has been a powerful episode. 
Right. Thank you, Sam. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing the knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you would like to learn more about Sudhir or Yuan or Orolabs, head over to orolabs.ai. It's O-R-O-L-A-B-S dot A-I. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.